So uh, I, I want to ask you to just think about things that bring you joy in your life, things that make you happy. Uh, maybe it's things that are, some of us, we like comedians, and there's particular comedians that have a twist that allow us to just laugh. I know that that's happiness. But um, I will just share with you in my own life that I have decided, and I shared this last week, that I do not want to take myself too seriously. And um, uh, this happens about once every three months. There'll be a moment when I'm sitting in my office uh, just over the way over there, and I'll look down and I'll notice that I have one black shoe on and one brown shoe on. And now, now, some of you are judging me. That hurts. Um, but uh, as, I, as I look down at my feet, uh, I have this moment where emotionally I move into to this spiral of depression and disc- nah, and that's not what I do, actually. Uh, what I actually do is just kind of laugh at myself, and then sometimes I'll take a picture, and I'll text it to my wife, and I'll say, see the mental capacity of the man that you devoted the rest of your life to, right? Like, that's what I say, like, hey, that's, that's who you married. Congratulations, right? You know, you know for, for each one of us, there are circumstances in our life that in many ways are complicated. Sometimes their own, there are own decisions that we make, our own mistakes. At other times, there's things that happen inside of us. And this morning, as we talk about two verses from God's word, we're going to see an encouragement for us for how we can choose to allow those things to either make us miserable or that, that our circumstances can actually be opportunities for us to glorify the Lord. And uh, originally I was planning on preaching from eight verses, but these two verses were so meaningful to me that I extended the series because I want you to just experience the blessing of what it means for us to have a mindset that allows us to handle whatever life throws at us, whether it's our own mistakes whether it's the the pain and failure of others, whether it's the powerful experience of our own circumstances. But I wanted to begin this morning with a story, uh, a short story that was written by G.W. Target. And it was uh, back in the 1800s, he penned this short story uh, and I find it incredibly moving in my life. The, the story goes that there were two men who were both very sick and they were in a hospital room together. And um, their ailments, uh, one of them had liquid in his lungs and, um, and it was very serious for him. They both had heart issues, but one of them, the one that had liquid in his lungs or pneumonia, uh, the treatment at that time uh, allowed him to sit up for just about an hour each day. And so, um, so they, he got to pick and choose what that hour was, but um, he happened to be in this room where these two guys shared the room together. Uh, he, had to be, he happened to be the one who was by the window. Now, the other man, um, his ailments required him to lay on his back all day as he continued to heal and recover. And so um, over time, what, what they would do um, each day, they had a special time during that one hour where the man that could sit up would describe to the other man all of the things that were happening outside of their, their upper story window that they had. And he would talk about the picnics that would take place in the park that they could see, uh, the marching band that was practicing in the corner over the side. He'd talk about the, the kids and the, and the feeding the ducks. And, and he would go into this deep, intimate detail of what he was seeing. And for both of them, that one hour of the day was filled with just happiness. It was just delightful. They, they had such a fun time experiencing together all of the exciting things that were happening outside. Well, this happened over time consistently. And then inside the man who was away from the window, there was this unexpected thought. 
And, and I confess um, that I can relate at some level to the unexpected thought. And that is he thinks in his bed, why, why is it that that guy gets the window seat, right? Why is it that that guy gets to experience all of that? And why is it that I don't get to experience? And he's frustrated. And in fact, over time, it leads him to a source of discouragement and bitterness and ultimately finds himself losing all of the joy of the descriptions of what's happening outside. Why? Because that's his experience well, there was an, an incredible evening one time when, when that man who was closer to the window got extra sick. He had an event and, and there was a moment there when he could hear his friend that was in the bed next to him suffering. And, and you could, he was reaching for that button that you click or the, the notification to the nurses. And inside, he decided he wasn't going to help. And ultimately, the man died. And in the morning, when the nurse came in to feed them, she was shocked to find that this man was dead. And um, they ended up moving him on uh, to, um, you know, he, he, as he moved him out of the room. This man then, at the appropriate time, he felt like, asked the nurse if he could be moved to the window, uh, his bed near the window. And even though he uh, wasn't supposed to get up, uh, at noon, high noon, he decides that he's going to go see for himself what he'd been missing. And when he crawls up to the window, he looks out and he sees that there was just a brick wall on the other side of the window. You, know? you hear the story and you recognize that the man who was beside him was a man who, in that circumstance, was trying to do something that was a gift to his friend and used his imagination. It's, it's a fascinating story. But I want you to understand the difference between the two men. And I don't, I don't want to ignore the fact that these are temptations for each and every one of us. There's a term that the Apostle Paul is going to use today in the text as we look at um, uh, two verses in Philippians verse 7 and 8. Um, there's a term that he's going to use in the ESV that we use often here. He's going to say feel. He says, is it right for me to feel this way about you? <clears throat> And I want you to catch this this morning, that that term is actually uh, better for us to understand. Literally, it means your mindset. It is my mindset, my choice, my perspective that I feel this way about you. And today we're going to look at four ways that God can allow us to grow in our capacity to see life with joy. To grow in our capacity to have a mindset that looks through things, and we're going to, I don't want to get too far ahead, but we're going to look at things like seeing other people through God's perspective, looking at our circumstances with the opportunity in mind, building around ourselves a group of people that can celebrate our victories and our failures together. But what I love about the Apostle Paul, and we are going to continue to study it as we go through the book of Philippians, is that all the while that he talks about joy and happiness and uh, the glory of serving the Lord, he's chained to a Roman guard the entire time. And so today he'll mention his chains. And we believe literally that he was chained to a Roman guard when he penned the words that are so encouraging and delightful. And just want to remind you that the thing that is different between him and what I think a majority of people who would go through such a challenging and difficult experience was his mindset. And so I want to invite you to join me. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Philippians. Uh, we are going to pick back up where we left off last week. 
uh, and we're going to pick up in verse 7 of chapter 1. And, um, and I'll just say it um, bluntly. Two points this morning. They're very simple. Uh, the first one is that you and I can choose to have a joyful mindset. Uh, we saw last week that Paul talks about his joy for the church in Philippi. And I think he made an accurate, deliberate decision to, um, to have a mindset that was set on honoring the Lord through his joyfulness. Here's what the text says. I'll read it for you. It says this, It is right for me to feel, this is again that term that I said to you, the mindset of um, this way, feel this way about you, to, to have this in my mind about you. This is the right way to feel for me. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers, are participants with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Uh, you'll notice in these two verses something that, you know, we say out of the overflow of the heart, so the mouth speaks. And you know how when you're thinking about something that it just keeps coming up and in your language, you notice that he uses terms like witness here. He uses terms about defense. And, and my guess is the Apostle Paul was acutely aware of the fact that he was about to undergo a trial uh, one of which he's been through them before. Remember, he, by, by the Jewish community who at one point had been condemned and stoned, left for dead, um, that he had experienced trials before. And here he's anticipating a trial that he expected probably not to be done fairly, uh, but the one that would have been quite, I think, intimidating. So you see it in his language. Uh, but what I appreciate about Paul is he manifests what James taught us in James 1 he's, when it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There's, there's trials that are on the horizon for him. There's, there's things that are going to happen that are going to stretch him out of what he's comfortable with. But he does say this clearly in the text. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. The mindset that the Apostle Paul had about the church in Philippians was one that was kind, was gracious. Later, he's going to say in the book of Philippians about those who, um, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. He's also going to say their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. So they glory in their shame. They're with their minds set on earthly things. He's talking about a decision that a person has in response to the circumstances that they're going through. Um, I, I love the, the story of the woman who um, calls her husband up because she sees on the news um, that there is a person who's driving the wrong direction on the highway. There's helicopters and they have video of it. And so she calls her husband on the cell phone and she says, honey, on the highway, there, are, um, there is a, a, a knucklehead that's driving the wrong direction on the road. Um, and he says back to her, honey, you're wrong. Uh, there's like dozens of them going the wrong direction. <laughs> In other words, it was him, right? You get it. Um, you know, you think about every road you and I have ever been on. Um, and there's, there's always um, one way you can go, another way you can go. They, they both east, west, north, south, that you can choose to decide which direction you're going to go on the road. And 
Uh, we avoid what I've shared with you guys before, late night, I-70, going to Colorado, like three in the morning. Uh, I'm flying down the highway, not too fast, I don't think, uh, but uh, driving down the highway, I'm in the, the slow lane or the right lane, and a car comes down the highway, it's a divided highway, a car comes down the divided highway going full speed on my side of the highway, the opposite direction. So we pass both going 70 miles per hour. Uh, afterward, my heart is racing, and I had to think about the fact that he, that person, he or she, had to get on the exit ramp the wrong way. They had to avoid all of the signs, all of the warning spaces in order to find themselves traveling the wrong direction. I think when we come to a mindset, I think it's important for us to understand. We can choose in our life which direction we're going to go with the circumstances that life throws with us. We, at us. We get to choose how we're going to respond. So in Paul's case, he's experiencing what would be, I think, one of the more frightening, difficult, challenging circumstances in life. He's literally in house arrest. He's chained to a guard. Um, it had to be incredibly discouraging to have been a missionary, one who's called out to be used by God for his glory, but to ultimately be chained uh, to a person and to not be able to do what he felt like God was calling him to do. His decision, though, his mindset was to decide that I'm going to glorify the Lord in the midst of this challenging circumstance. For other people, though, I believe that they have the tendency to choose to head the other direction. I think for some of us, the temptation is actually to choose to allow ourselves to be miserable, that we choose to allow ourselves to be, um, to conform to whatever's happening, <clears throat> excuse me, to conform to whatever's happening and to allow that experience to define our joy or our happiness. Paul's going to give us four words in this section of scripture that I think are going to be very, very helpful for us as we understand what it means to choose a joyful mindset in our life. I want to highlight these words as we go back through these verses because they're very helpful. He says, he says um, th this concept in the text, we can give to others the grace that we ourselves have received. When he says this in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of grace with me. Here, as he's speaking to believers in Philippi, what he's recognizing is that they are like him. They're imperfect people that are experiencing the grace of God. And over time, um, God is doing a work in their life. And I love this, this image that he's not saying that they're on his nerves. He's actually saying they're on his heart, right? saying, I care about you. I appreciate you. And I think that there's an, a recognition, an understanding of the fact that while they were never perfect, they had gone through difficult experiences together. And ultimately, it was the joy of the Lord that allowed them to be partakers with one another for the grace that God had given them. I just have found in my life that this simple concept brings me so much more joy in my life when I allow myself to see other people through the perspective of them being forgiven by the God that I've been forgiven, that they're on a journey, that Philippians 1.6 that we read last week, that God's doing a work in their life and it might be on a different timeline, it might be a different experience than I myself have personally had, but, but it's allowing myself to stand back and to say, 
Lord, you've got them on a journey, and I am a person who can be joyful in the fact that you're doing something in them as well. So Paul uh, resonated with that, with this, this church in Philippi. I think it's also uh, very helpful when we talk about a mindset that can lead to joy, is just recognizing the simple need that we have for one another. He uses an interesting word here. He says, partakers of grace. In verse seven, it says this, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers or partners with me in grace. The word that we get fellowship from is in this, the, the idea that uh, we desperately need one another is, is right in front of us as we read this, that they're partakers with him of grace. I love the, the statement, John Newton, who wrote the song that we sing, Amazing Grace, he said this about his own spiritual life. He thought, maybe, maybe to avoid sin in my life, I should just separate from, from any kind of community. So he says, I endeavored to renounce society that I might avoid temptation, but it was, in his own words, poor religion. So far as it prevailed, it only tended to make me gloomy, stupid, unsociable, and useless. That's not very nice, is it? Those words that he's describing, though, he's just saying, by pulling away from community, I found myself discouraged, frustrated, isolated. I think that it's appropriate for the Apostle Paul to see relationships as a foundation for his ability to move forward with joy and with grace. He calls them partaker, partakers with him of grace. A third lesson that I see in the text that's very encouraging for me is that you and I can choose to include others in our struggles and in our success. Uh, I love being a parent. I love, love that process. We dropped off our eldest to college this week, which is an emotional experience. And one of the things that I think about in the years that she was in our home and all of the lessons that we went through is that sometimes as a parent, you get to celebrate with them the great victories of their life and you get to be there for award ceremonies and experiences that they're going through. And it's so encouraging and so kind when they experience something like that. They, they call you up and they're excited about sharing with you the adventure of their life. They're partners together. But also, you know, as a parent, that there are times when you are the call that they make when they're most discouraged, had made the biggest mistake, had found themselves most disappointed in life. And, and, and when I read this with the Apostle Paul, basically what he's saying is, I love the fact that this church in Philippi, separated by geography, but, but that my heart's still there. I'm still connected. And I also love the description that he has of being able to share with them the victory of the gospel, the things that God's done amongst them that are, that are powerful and meaningful and neat, uh, and then the things that are also sources of discouragement. Here he describes his, um, his imprisonment, uh, literally the fact that he is in chains. And I want to ask you a, a, an application question at this point. And that is, in your life, do you have people that you can share victories with in your life? Do you have people that are around you that you can uh, allow to hear the great things, positive things that God's doing um, in your life? And do you have people in your life that you can share the discouragements of life with? If you don't, uh, it may be time for you to reconsider how you're investing your time and your energy because I believe that that's something that we need, especially if we're going to have a mindset of joy. We need people 
to be a part of our life. It's important for me to unpack this briefly when he says, both in my imprisonment, uh, here when he's talking about being bound in chains, um, it is important for us to know that this was literally the hallucis, it was a, a Roman shackle um, that was between him and at least one other guard 24 hours a day. So when we say he was under house arrest, I don't think he had the remote control and, uh, you know, Uber Eats, right? Like that he's under the care of other people. He's in a position that's complicated. But what's so beautiful about this, we're going to read about it next week or in two weeks, is that, that Paul, while he's chained, um, while he's a captive, he, with his mindset, allowed himself to see all of those captives as a captive audience, right? And, and what we see happen is that he um, sees the opportunity not to complain and gripe and be frustrated by this, this um, circumstance that he finds himself in. But instead, what it says in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 1 is that the whole palace guard was able to experience the truth of the gospel. So he is excited about the opportunity to share the reason for the hope that he holds dear to these people who are chained to him, right? He's able to, uh, we'll see at the end of the book that this spread into Caesar's home. And so these Praetorian guards, these weren't, um, they weren't just any guard, but they were kind of special forces of that time period, double pay they'd received. They were the best of the best. And here, the Apostle Paul is able to express his love and the, the love of the gospel to the very people who were there to oppress him. And, and I, I think about that statement earlier from James when he says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of many kind and in, in so in many kinds. And, and then what we ultimately see here is that there's an antidote for terrible circumstances. And that is when we are people who recognize the fact that we can, we can count it joy when we meet trials of various kinds, and that count it joy is our mindset. It's our ability to be able to say, I have more than just the pain and circumstances in my life to keep me moving forward because I have truly the joy of the Lord. This turns a captive into someone who allows the people around him to become a captive audience. And just love that simple truth. And then, you know, he goes on, and we see this at the end of chapter 4, verse 22. It says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. And so what's happening in Philippi? So he's speaking to this, um, this community that would have absolutely understood soldiers, and the, there was a Roman garrison there in Philippi. And so he's speaking to them in language that they would understand. And he's ultimately celebrating God's faithfulness. Isn't that awesome, you guys? Isn't it awesome to see that, that I don't know what circumstances you're in. As far as I can tell, none of you are shackled to a Roman guard, as far as I can see. Um, but, but for some of us, whether it's we lost a job, or our circumstances aren't meeting up to what we expected at this stage in life. Many of you have lost spouses over the last several years. Uh, that, that there's reasons to be discouraged. I don't think that this is... Uh, a trite response to it or a denial of the circumstances, but ultimately I believe that it's saying that we can be, as I've said, above our circumstances. And so when he says, count it all joy, he's talking about a deliberate decision. Choose to have joy in the midst of whatever life throws at you. 
In our community, I'm guessing that your home is like mine. If you live in Northeast Ohio, and that is there are always deer present, right? Uh, we always have deer around us. And uh, I've noticed after living in this part of Ohio for the last 10 years or so that um, you notice if a deer shoots across the road in front of you, um, you don't just go, glad I didn't run into it, but you wait for the rest of his herd, right? Or his crew, right? You're waiting for his brothers, his sisters, his aunt, his uncles, you know. In our community, it's, uh, it's fascinating to watch it. And uh, there are times when I'm mowing my backyard and there is a mom back there who's got her, um, her babies that are, they love to hide in the fence around a shed of ours. And she's stomping her feet and she's telling me, get away from my babies. Uh, and, and I just, I love that, that they are a group, as animals, they, they stick together, right? That they, uh, they connect together, they protect one another. And, and I want to encourage you, for those of you who right now, who feel isolated, who you feel no one cares, no one knows, there's nobody to celebrate with, that I, I want to encourage you that it is a time for you to recognize that going it alone was never God's design. And so when the Apostle Paul at the beginning of this book talks about Timothy, a man who was collaborating with him in ministry, when he talks about the saints in Philippi, part of the act of this letter is actually saying, relationships really matter to me. In my Christian life, I can't go it alone. I need to maintain partners and relationship. And we're going to see names of people, Epaphrodites and others, who are, were actively involved in Paul's ministry. And I I think that, that we look at this and we say, man, it's amazing he's got all those people around him. Well, partially the reason why he has people around him is he writes letters like this, right? That he connects with people in his life. He's seen himself as a partner for the sake of the gospel. And so, so when he does that, what he does is he surrounds himself with people who see the challenges of life as a team effort, not just as his burden that he himself alone has to bear. I think the final thing, and this has been so helpful for me in relationships in my life, is that we can choose to see others through the eyes of Christ. I think that this is a part of why Paul allowed himself to have a mindset that was helpful, is that he could remember the failures in his own ministry. He could remember the circumstances that he himself went through. He could remember that he himself was a work in progress. So in verse 8, when he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That statement is a very important one if you want to have joy in your life. Um, you think about sunglasses or sometimes, you know, we wear glasses that have like a tinted color to them and you forget that you're wearing them. And then at the moment you take them off, you realize I've been looking through a lens this whole time, right? I think that it's important for us to recognize that we can look at other people through the lens of the gospel and to recognize them the way Jesus does. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 9, 36, talks about people in this way. He says, when I saw the crowds, he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus's perspective on them was that they needed encouragement. They needed help. They needed support. Matthew 15, 32 says, when Jesus called his disciples to him and he said, for I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me from now until three days. And he talks about their hunger and their need. And then he talks about the affection being knit together through, through the gospel. I, I love this recognition. Jesus sees people differently sometimes than you and I do. 
And I think Paul had that perspective on his circumstances. He also had that perspective on people. So you remember when Peter was taught how to forgive, Jesus asked him to remember what it meant to be forgiven by God. So, so that's one mindset, a mindset that says that I want to see people from God's perspective. I want to see my circumstances from God's perspective. This leads us to the second full point this morning, and that is you and I can choose, if we're honest, to just be miserable. We can choose to, to have in our life a miserable mindset. I think there's four ways that stand out to me, and I want to challenge you to consider in your life if any of these are temptations for you. I think that we can find ourselves expecting more from other people than we expect from ourselves. You remember when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount the, the, the description of a person who has a splinter, a sliver of wood in their own eye, or they see the, the sliver of wood in another person's eye and they try to point that thing out, but they themselves have a, a giant log in their own eye. It, it is such a helpful description for me to say it's so easy for me to see the faults of other people, but to then let, neglect my own. And here, I think a person who has a joyful mindset is a person who recognizes that they themselves are a work in progress. I think the second way to make yourself miserable that's very common these days, probably more so than ever in history, is that we attempt to do life on our own. That we, uh, we choose to say things like, I don't want to be a burden on someone else. And uh, we, we choose to, you know, if we're, if we're honest about technology today, it's all so custom fit to what I want. It, it's designed to give me exactly what I want all of the time. And, and often what can happen in that process is we can isolate ourselves. We can attempt to do life on our own. And there are a few things that I could say would be a recipe for being miserable more than, than choosing to isolate yourself. I think the third one that stands out to me, and it's in connection to the points that we saw with the Apostle Paul, is that you and I can try to hide our pain and our progress. Uh, when, when Paul celebrated with them both the victories of the advancement of the gospel, but also the discouragements that he was going through, he chose to set aside what would cause many people to be miserable, and he allowed other people into his circumstances. I think often what happens as well is that we can forget about the gospel altogether. We, we can allow ourselves to forget the fact that we are sinners saved by grace, forgiven by the grace of God, that we are ourselves a work in progress, that that we can forget that it requires us to remember that intentionally when we see others that disappoint us or let us down or discourage us. And if you choose to forget the fact that you are a work in progress, it is very easy for you to forget that others are a work in progress and it can lead to great discouragement. I like to say that it would lead us to being people who are miserable. So, so I want to ask you in your life about this question of the, the bed of life right now, that illustration that I began with, that description in the short story of two people, one of which was suffering, but yet chose to see something beautiful and powerful in the midst of it and to give gifts to others um, that he himself even wasn't experiencing. Then there's another person who looks at life and is constantly evaluating it based on what other people are receiving, constantly evaluating about it from the perspective of how it doesn't meet my expectations and ultimately allowing us to be miserable in our circumstances. 
As we study the book of Philippians together, a book that talks so much about joy, I want to keep reminding you that it's not because everything's going great. It's not because life is simple. It's not because there's not chains. It's not because the pain of life is not there. But what it does is just recognize the fact that the Lord Jesus has given us everything that we need to experience the worst parts of life in joy. And that's going to be a theme that we're going to see in Philippians in a fascinating way. As the Apostle Paul was going through his own suffering, what he was preparing the church in Philippi to do, even some of them were experiencing it already, was to experience the most difficult things in life, but to experiencing them with an uncharacteristic joy that comes from a mindset that's set on the Lord. And I, I believe that you and I can experience that. So when some of us look at 2023 and we're like, what in the world is that going to look like? Well, for some of us, when we look ahead and we ask about questions about our nation, about the future, um, for some of us, I know that it has led to a paralysis of fear and discouragement and bitterness, angst, <clears throat> so many things. And I just want to remind you today that the Lord has given us the antidote to that. Most of it allows us to just recognize that the gospel's at work. God's faithful. He knows our needs, and he can give us exactly what we need, even through the most difficult circumstances of life. Do you agree with this truth? Um, are you willing to, in your notes, there's a handful of questions that are there. They're very personal. Um, they're designed for you in a small group setting to go through them or for you to to wrestle with them. And I want to challenge you to give those a look and, and to ask yourself the questions, uh, what is my mindset right now? And I think if you do that, you might take yourself a step closer to be someone who has the ability to laugh again, regardless of your circumstances. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we love you and I thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. And I, I just thank you for me personally, just studying these verses this week and just reading them and just thanking you that, that the Apostle Paul and so many others, James, Jesus, so many others before us uh, experienced things so much more difficult than I'll probably ever experience. And yet their attitude about it was so much better than my attitude has ever been. And, and I find great joy in that process because I recognize that you want me to be a person that, that is, has a mindset, uh, an attitude, a belief that is based on the fact that you're faithful, you know what we need, and you got this. And I just pray that for each and every person that's here. I thank you for your faithfulness. That's great. Uh, I thank you for the privilege you've provided for us to go through life together in community, not to do it or attempt to do it alone. We love you. We thank you and praise you for this time. In Jesus' precious name we pray.